Hey everyone and welcome to the Rumcast. We're back with another episode where we talk about all things rum related with the people who love and shape it. And never was there a more evident labor of love for rum than what our guest for today's show produced, dedicating over five years of his life to working five on. Five years. Yes, but before we get to talking about that, of course, let's check in with my co-host in good old Rocky Top, Tennessee, the Trinidad to my Tobago, you might say, Mr. Will Hookinga. Well, What's up, Will? You can't put Rocky Top in the intro to Tennessee for me because, you know, I grew up a fan of Alabama, right? And we hate Tennessee football. Tennessee sings the Rocky Top <laughs> song. I don't know if you're familiar with I this do. tradition or not. Yeah, yeah. You knew what you were doing. I, I hate them both equally. So, you know, okay. well, for me, it works. Well, yeah. No, I'm really excited to talk about the, the interview we have today. Really fascinating. I just got done actually going back and editing that one and re-listening to the whole thing. And feel it's the kind of interview I feel like I needed to hear twice because there was so much information packed yeah. into it. But yeah, we talked to Stefan Meyer, who just finished or just released his uh, magnum opus, we'll call it. It's a book called Coroni 100% Trinidad Rum, and it's all about the story of Coroni, the distillery, the closed distillery in Trinidad. And, you know, the, the significance of this is basically that this distillery closed in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and had about 18,000-something casks of rum left over. Those casks were purchased by a variety of different people, uh, including Luca Gargano of Velier, and those Velier releases are kind of what launched the reputation of Coroni into the stratosphere. Mm-hmm. It's one of the, I guess, most sought-after rums out there now are these these Coroni releases because there is no more. It's sort of yeah. this lost, closed, mythic distillery. The mm-hmm. rum itself has a very distinctive taste. You won't find, I would say, another rum that tastes like a Coroni rum. It's one of those that you can pick it out when you taste it in something. And so, yeah, Stefan spent the past five years of his life just going back, talking to, he interviewed, I think, over 100 people for the book. So getting the full story of how the distillery closed, why it happened, what happened to all the rum in it. Uh, There's all these kind of unanswered questions about Coroni rum. Like there's these myths about, is there Jamaican rum in some, you know, Coroni blends? Is Coroni rum in some releases from other distilleries around the world that, you know, may or may not have purchased some rum from Coroni over the years? So Stefan kind of took us through the whole thing, sort of diving into some of the secrets of the story and everything. And uh, it was just, it was, it was a joy to talk to. I think anytime you get the chance to talk to someone who just really spent like you were saying, you know, right. five years of labor, a labor of love doing this full time. And as we say in the interview, like when we say book, this is, it's, the book is like, I don't know, it's like the size of my torso, basically. <laughs> like it's, uh, it's, you know, full color, amazing photographs and stuff. It's in like this case that it comes in. It's two volumes, hardcover. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's like a coffee table book, right? It's yeah. huge and, yeah. and nice. And yeah, it's not only about what's written in it, although uh, there's tons of information, but that just looking at some of the pictures that we've seen and some yeah. of the amazing things that he's put together. I mean, every single bottle ever released. Yeah. 
every single wow. yeah every single bottle ever ever released is in there so on top of like getting the backstory and everything it's also if you're the type of person who wants to really know all about every Coroni release and and you know all the details on each bottle and everything which is actually really helpful like if you're if you're seriously interested in mm-hmm. hunting down some Coroni bottles because there are good Coronis out there well I mean to some people there might not be any good cronies. Some people just straight up don't <laughs> like it. Um, but but there's definitely there's definitely differences in the Coroni bottles available out there in terms of what mark was in it, you know, what still it came from. And so being able to really laser in and make sure yeah. you're getting something that you think you'll like if you're, yeah. you know, gonna spend anywhere from three hundred to thousands of dollars on a bottle of rum is is nice to be able to do. Yeah, and there's just something about that mystique you mentioned about Caroni yeah. as a distillery. There's just that uh je ne sais quoi about it that is just makes people kind of goo goo over it, right? And, yeah. and kind of I, and I Gaga don't know what, even. Yeah yes, exactly. <laughs> um my thoughts exactly. So to see Stefan put so much effort into this and to see that come to life because there are plenty of projects I think that people do have passion for but mm-hmm. they don't make it to the finish line to see him make it to this finish line and see this book produced not only produced but many people around the world now have that in their hands that's a really cool thing so definitely looking to hear more from him uh, in the future and, and what he's doing uh, with this and yeah. seeing seeing that really come to life it yeah. sounds like this might not be his last rum book so spoiler uh, alert yeah i'll spoiler talk a little bit about that in the interview but anyway before before we get to that really quickly in the spirit of diving into a little bit of rum history uh, i did a little bit myself recently in terms of tasting uh, a rum or two that are a little mm. bit historic so John, you'll remember that I came into possession of samples of the entire Foursquare ECS range recently, yes. right? Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I talked about this a little bit on the podcast in the past. Each sample contained an ounce and a half. So I did my little mad scientist experiment of taking half an ounce from each sample and creating the ultimate Foursquare ECS blend containing yeah. all of the ones ever released. So I did that, but I hadn't yet gone back and actually started tasting through the ECS releases. And, oh. you know, I, I'd probably had maybe, I don't know, 60 to 65% of these releases I'd already tried in the past, but, you know, some of them I hadn't revisited in a long while. And some of them I haven't ever tasted at all. And so I was trying to kind of like figuring out how am I going to flight this, you know, because I don't really want to just taste through all, I think there's 18 of them. I don't want to just do an 18 rum flight. You know, I'd be by the end of that. Yeah. Especially when it's all from one distillery and, and people already talk about, you know, how similar some of those releases are. So I really wanted to be able to like do like cross sections of it and, and compare the rums that made sense in the release. And so mm-hmm. I made this kind of flight schedule sort of where I feel like it makes the most sense to compare the vintages together. So, you know, the releases right. that are year based. So 2004, 2005, mm-hmm. 2007, mm-hmm. 2008, etc. because they're all aged the same way. You know, it's right. all 100% ex-bourbon casks. And then I wanted to do separate flights of the 
releases that include secondary maturation. So mm-hmm. they might involve Sherry or, or Port or Madeira casks, etc. Zinfandel. Zinfandel, exactly. Mm-hmm. I think I think actually Port cask was first, but the Zin cask uh, came right after that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those those are going to be in an upcoming flight where I, I compare those a little bit. But I wanted to start with just the first three vintage releases okay. ever done. So the 1998, the 2004, and the 2005. Oh, wow. You reminded me. I was going to say 2004, 2005, Yeah, 98. But exactly. you, yeah, the 98. God, I'm so jealous. Okay, go ahead. Well, so here's the, the 98 is the one that I wanted to talk about because it's fascinating because I think if you're just coming into run now and you kind of see what the Foursquare releases are, you might assume that you know, the first release started like all the others. But mm-hmm. the first release, the 1998 one, which was released in 2008... So let's see. In two thousand eight, uh, I was I was twenty, so I was a mere twenty years old. You could not even drink Couldn't it legally. Couldn't even here. legally mm-hmm. consume it yet when that was mm-hmm. released. But I found my way to it through the twists and turns of life. It was anyway, bequeathed to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When it was released, <laughs> this was not a cask strength release. This was a forty percent ABV, mm-hmm. eighty proof. You know, all ex bourbon maturation. So what you would expect there. Ten years old. But so actually, what I'm reading now online is is uh, according to the label on the back of the bottle, the rum was matured in ex bourbon casks for about eight years before being decanted, reduced in strength, and returned to the cask for a secondary maturation. So it sounds mm. like they brought the proof down, then recasked it for the remaining two years, which is kind of interesting. I didn't yeah. I didn't know that about that. But anyway, so I was really looking forward to this experience of trying this eighty proof first Foursquare ECS release, because I recalled when uh, one of the times we had Richard on the podcast, he talked about, you know, that first release that they did, right? It was a lot different. Like, I, I, I don't think there was as much pot still probably as is in some of the current vintages. Mm-hmm. And that really came through in the release. It was just, it was so interesting to taste it because it's so much lighter. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way necessarily, but it's like, a, a very sort of more delicate, I would say, style of Foursquare. Mm. Um, you get like, the, there's like a lot of honey and vanilla, like a little coconut. It's like very soft on the palate. The oak, in, like everyone always talks about Foursquare being a rum for bourbon drinkers and like really, yeah. uh, really oaky and, and, mm-hmm. and bourbony and that kind of thing. And like Wood the oak notes. influence mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. one is so much dialed back than what we're used to now, I would say. Mm. So it was just this really interesting experience of getting to see like what was the opening salvo yeah. to the the Foursquare theory of of you know rum the the their belief yeah. system in terms of like what rum should be uh, and, and seeing this as what people were ready for at the time back then so yeah. I, it's kind of like drinking a little rum time capsule but yeah. it was really interesting and uh, yeah I'm looking forward to kind of and you could see the progression immediately when you moved on to the 2004 because there was actually six years went by in between right. that that release and the 2004 vintage and the 2004 is much more in the direction of, of what we see in those vintages now but I have to say even that one the the 2004 while while being quality mm-hmm. to me the current releases kind of blow it out of the water interesting 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've had the opportunity to try 2004 a little bit, and uh, I, I remember being very fond of it, but I remember liking the 2005 that mm-hmm. much better. Mm-hmm. There was, there was to me, a clear, because I did those three back to back to back, and there was mm-hmm. like a clear another step with mm-hmm. the 2005. Mm-hmm. Like the 2004, it got a little bit heftier on yeah. the palette. It was higher proof. It was like thicker and stuff like that. But the, right. the 2005 took it to another level, a lot more oak influence, a lot more kind of like interesting spices and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's a good start to the the journey. But I thought that yeah. would be a fun little his, historical footnote to, to begin yeah. the podcast on. Well, I, and I can't follow that up, obviously, because I don't have the, uh, the releases that you uh, were so nicely given. But uh, interestingly, and we didn't plan this at all before this, but the, the one thing I was going to quickly talk about that I had been sipping on is actually the Zin cask. Oh, so, okay. Wow. Yeah. So Foursquare time capsule time. Yeah, w- the reason I did that actually is because I was able to source Indelible recently. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Finally found it in my area. Wow. Uh, it had been hard to get down there? Yeah. Hadn't seen it. Wow. Hadn't seen it at all in, Force, in a Force lot of places. distribution can be funny. Like sometimes here in Nashville, the the people that get it here will just like let it sit in the warehouse for like three months mm. before they'll put it in stores. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. But obviously with the indelible beings in cask as well, uh, yeah. I wanted to go back and A, B that a little bit. I haven't sat with it for too long, but the, the initial impression, I can immediately tell exactly kind of what you're saying, mm-hmm. which is that it's uh, lighter and thinner in the original Zen cask. And even though it, there is a proof difference, this one was, I yeah. believe, it was 43% versus Indelible being 48. Mm-hmm. So there's a step up in proof, which is going to make things a little bit more robust as well. But there's a, a almost a, a lighter, softer minerality mm. to the original Zen cask. And the Indelible release, I, I think, recreates it very faithfully. It's mm-hmm. very close. But I do think there it steps it up a little bit. I wonder so, if there was just more column still distillate hmm. in, in yeah. those earlier releases um, that might be it there may, yeah. may may just not have been as much of an anticipation for pot still being so in demand yeah uh, but yeah fascinating stuff i'll um yeah i'll have to i'll definitely flight Zincask and indelible yes. together so i can do that comparison as well because that'll be fun yeah but yeah uh with with all that said mm-hmm. uh, let's let's go ahead and send things over to the interview and we'll we'll put some links in the show notes to where you can purchase the book uh like, like what we cover in the interview but there were only two thousand copies printed so it's kind of like a bottle of coroni rum in and of itself <laughs> it's, it's rare itself. it's, it's yeah. pretty limited but there are like a number of retailers i think many of them are in the eu that are carrying the book so you have some options there if you want to order it and yeah we'll put links up so you can check out what it looks like and see all the beautiful photos and things like that Mm -hmm. but yeah let's let's go ahead and kick it over to the interview with stefan here with Stefan Meyer, uh, the man behind the new book that you've probably... I actually, Stefan, I feel almost disrespectful calling it a book because when people hear book, they just think of, you know, like a little paperback book or something like that. It's somewhere between a book, 
uh, and a work of art. But um, yeah. the book is Caroni 100% Trinidad Rum. And actually, literally just, it, it's morning over here. I know it's afternoon where you are, but I woke up to a message uh, from one of our listeners, one of our patrons, who said, I've been tasting some Caroni I haven't sampled in a long time as I work my way through Stefan's recently arrived magnum opus. Uh, looking it over makes me think I'm not obsessing enough about the things I'm obsessed about. So <laughs> I feel like I feel like first of all, magnum opus is is a good way to describe what you've done and the sort of obsessive amount of work that went into it. But you just mentioned to us before we hopped on, you're four weeks out from release now. So I just wanted to kind of take the temperature on how are you feeling after working on this for so long and now about a month in being able to see people's reactions to it. What has that been like for you? Yeah, at the moment, I realize what I have done, you know, because after I finished the project, I was really tired because the last months, the people can't imagine how much work it was because I had a deadline, you know, I yeah. had mm -hmm. to finish the book for printing. And on this project, not only work me, it was much more people involved because it's translated in uh, four languages. Yeah. So mm -hmm. there was a layout, the translators and all was sitting in my bag and asking Stefan, I need, I need, I need. So it was a lot of work at the end. And then when the book was finished, I first feel tired, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all the books had to be shipped. And everything, and I'm I'm a one man show, you know. Yeah. I'm you're like Frodo on Mount Doom. It's done finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now it's it's funny. Uh, many people riding me, and today also uh, a famous blogger, Belgian blogger, writes me, "Hey, Stefan, I think the same you have written about this and this, and it's the truth." That's because cool. sometimes you know, you make a lot of research and to put a puzzle together uh, sometimes you also have to speculate and yeah. then when you have so many informations and bring them together and at the end everything fits and then you get a feedback also from other people and stuff and you were right it makes me happy you know yeah. but the most thing I have done I, I have done a lot of interviews and because I don't like the speculation thing to say maybe mm -hmm. I prefer to talk with people and find really the right answers from the important persons who worked there from the employees from all the people they were uh, involved in uh, Caroni uh, in the closure and the, they are working there and things like that. Well, and there's a lot of stuff we want to dig into there that you were talking about, but I figure maybe it, it helps to kind of set the stage a little bit. So you're you're over there in Germany now. How does a guy from Germany become so passionate about Trinidadian Caroni rum and then decide to, to devote a significant portion of his life to the producing this huge project? It took you five years, right? Yes, five years, full-time full research. So the only thing I can say, it happens, you know. <laughs> I never had planned this. That's a great answer. Yeah. You know, in the past, I worked a lot. I had my own company. I become ill because working, working, working. And then I closed my company. I get immediately a job and I said, hey, people, I... I have to slow down. It was a friend who offered me a job. And then I said, I only, for me, it's normal to work 
12 hours a day. It's mm. nothing special. So mm -hmm. I only want to work half. So two and a half days, 30 hours. And my friend told me, yes, I employ you. It's fine. And then it starts again. You know, he asked me, can you work one day more? <laughs> and I said, okay, one day more, maybe it's slowly getting sucked time. back in, right? Creeps in, yeah. And after one year, I worked the same like before. And then I quit my job and had no idea what I will do next. This was in the end of 2016. Okay. And in 2015, I ordered a bottle of Caroni because, you know, at this time, Caroni was still payable. It was not so expensive. And mm -hmm. I bought uh, other rum and I don't like to pay shipping. So I go through the shop and read something about other rums. And I think, thought, okay, this Caroni story is interesting. I buy a bottle. I'm the exact same way. Hate paying for shipping. Like, Say, yeah. <laughs> so there you have it. <laughs> That's the real to reason. Avoid shipping costs. <laughs> uh, it was out of timing, no? And then I bought this bottle, but I don't open it. And then when I quit my job, my brother in law visited me. He's a whiskey collector and he loves whiskey. And I only drink normally rum, so like whiskey, but at home I drink rum and. Then he told me, Stefan, now you have to open a good bottle of rum. <laughs> Time to celebrate. the bottle was closed, it was a Caroni. So I said, okay, may, maybe drink this one. And he said, yeah, open it. I opened the bottle and then my brother-in-law, he becomes crazy. He said, unbelievable rum. It's like a whiskey. It's unbelievable. Very good. I also liked it, but he becomes totally crazy. And then he asked me, <laughs> how much is a rum like this? And I said, nothing. I, said, I bought to pay no shipment. And then I said, okay, wait, I Google it. And the price was crazy. It was more than three times so much. And I thought, hey, what's happened? Why is a rum I bought one year ago now so expensive. Coroni mania had begun. Hmm. Yeah. I had time because I quit my job and then I started a research only because I was interested in why it's so expensive. And then I read everywhere on every shop, on everywhere you can find something, a different story. Some right 2000 was closed, some 2005. Yeah. And every there was something different. Mm -hmm. But I was interested in drink to drink more Peroni and find out more. And so I bought some more bottles and I go in a bottle shop and was talking to the guy from this shop. And I said, may I write a book about it? Because there is so many different things. Mm -hmm. And then this guy, it was Jens Gehlert from Limited Whiskey in Germany. Mm -hmm. He told me, you have to do this, Stefan, you really have to do this. And what I don't know, uh, what I haven't known at this time, he was in the past a publisher. So, ah. and then he also told me, hey, Stefan, you have to do it, to do it. And then I found friends in the internet. We started to create lists, what rams exist. And then I dropped in this, you know, in this book project and I had fun with it. And at one point I, I, find, I found the responsible uh, people. I can ask the correct questions mm. and then it starts, you know. And then I was so impressed in this. And because before I, I had the same knowledge than everybody else about drum, 
you know, mm-hmm. and I read old literature, things like that, and go deeper and deeper in this uh, project. And I thought, when you read an old book and you think, hey, this die, a guy who died 100 years before, now I have his book, is something special. Kind of cool, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's cool. And then I thought I have to do something like this as well. And because of that, when you look at the book, you described it at the beginning, something special. I never, I never really never thought about earning money with this project. Mm. For me, it was really a passionate project. I, I, for me, I decided I like to write a perfect rum book, not only Caroni, because when you like to understand all the difference from Caroni to other rums, you have to understand Caroni in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, on rum yeah. in general. Right, right. And yeah, all the books I've found, mostly it was too technical, the books, you know. Sometimes I always saw the people writing books for the industries, mm, not for yeah. customers, you know. When you start reading, you know, and it's almost English, so... I became became tired because it was so hard to read this text. It's like almost academic, and, sort of, yeah. Right. And also, when you know, when you read it in English, you miss maybe ten percent of the things you read. And sure. Mm. Mostly, this was the most important things. I don't understand. That's also why I made a book in four languages because I think. If you are, like to understand the production of rum and everything, the whole history of Caroni, you have to read it in your native uh, language. Mm. So I done it in four languages, the book, and I write it, I think, different than other writers because I think everybody should understand everything. Mm. So, th- you, so you trying to make it more accessible. Yes, yes, the, the, the people understand, the normal people, they drink rum, what I'm talking about, not an engineer who is producing a rum. The normal people have to understand, and that was important to me, to make everything with easy words, with pictures, that the mm. people understand. And I think it, it's become good, so <laughs> it looks good, everything. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really stunning to kind of look through um, and I, I haven't seen a copy in person yet, but just in seeing you actually, you created a, a Facebook group to kind of document your progress and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was going back it's and cool scrolling idea. and just, you posted so many videos from like um, the, the printer where it was being like put together by hand and all this stuff. And like the, the, the gold, I forget what it's called, but the, the kind of Maybe. gold press that's put on the it's, slip case that you put together. It's, and it's, it's really really quite quite amazing so i'd encourage anyone listening we'll post some links and stuff to where you can see the book online but yeah i I think what you were talking about just then of trying to balance like making hard to understand concepts easy to understand and accessible for the average consumer i think john and i talk about that a lot because you know we've we've interviewed people on the podcast before who are you know very technical either head distillers or things like that and you can find really fascinating information about how rum is made but trying to present it in a way where it's still understandable is always like there's a, a balance that i think you have to achieve and it's always sort of hard to figure out where that is so that's cool that you spend a lot of time thinking about that i, I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about caroni and sort of like what it sounds like it started a little bit with just trying to figure out 
how did this rum become so expensive? Which I think is a really interesting kind of start to the the Caroni、mm. story. But one thing over the years that I've noticed with Caroni is I've I don't think I've ever seen another rum distillery have so many sort of mysteries and legends swirling around it. You know, we hear whispers of things like. Jamaican rum being in some of the distilleries' casks. We hear people saying Caroni rum being used in blends by other distilleries, and some people say no, they never used Caroni rum. Just what? What do you think there is about Caroni rum that created so much mythology and speculation?、Uh, to borrow a word you used about the distillery, like what? What is the reason for all of that? I think、uh, the reason is during Caroni was still producing rum. The rum was so special that they hadn't so much success because they always sold the、uh, the rum in bulk. So for blending to other companies' rum, but the kind of rum Caroni was so special when you put it in a blend, you always taste immediately the、yeah. Caroni, and that was hard for them to sell. And they never sold as a single cask or something like this because at Caroni, always when they sold the rum to other companies, they first blended it with neutral alcohols. So when you,、uh, for for example, the Moon Import ninety sixty seven. Mm-hmm. That's a real Caroni, you know, and、mm-hmm. this、uh, rum doesn't taste、uh, good because th- there's only a small part of Caroni, and the rest is neutral alcohol. So in all、uh, the rum they sold for single cask bottlings or things like that, they first blended always with neutral alcohol before they sold. Wow! So, the so almost, almost like how rum verschnitt was made in Germany, sort of like that. Yes, yes, something like this. Yes, yes, yes,、wow. yes. But the amount was bigger there. Rum verschnitt it was much less, right? Because they took very flavorful、uh, Jamaican rum, very high ester. Yeah, but、um, yeah, that's the way they worked. And so before、uh, Luca Gagano、uh, found the cask. Nobody knows Caroni because not so much rum was sold. The most rum was sold. The light rums were sold to other distilleries. A lot of rum was、uh, they. I call these、uh, island blends. They did make their own rum for、mm-hmm. the island to sell. But the most rum bought the employees. So not the employees from the distillery. The employees from、uh, Caroni 1975, the whole sugarcane company, the employees could buy from their salary in the front,、ah, okay. and they、mm. took it up from their salary.、Uh, the the bottles they bought. So a lot of rum was also、um, sold on the island with their plants they made. Yes, and、mm. so the rum was. Not famous at all, and then happened something.、Uh, Luca found the cask after closure, and Luca done something very special. He done more special things. He he took the black bottles. He bottled the bottles in full proof. You know,、mm-hmm. the bottlings, and then he used the pictures from his trip. Was very special bottlings because that I think they are he he was years 
in the front in Ahead the of this time mm -hmm. yeah and uh, so i think now these all people are searching for these bottles because they're very special caroni rum is very very special from the taste it's unique that makes him f uh, famous now but they never before during uh, caroni exist they never make single cask like this so it the rum was produced for the local market and for bulk sales and also, I I talked with Carsten from EH Share. Mm -hmm. He was totally laughing. He told me, you know, I, I always bought Trinidad rum. So when I buy from Angosturas, I bought ship-wise, you know, full mm -hmm. ships. And from Caroni, he bought about 100,000 liters per the year. What is nothing for him, you know. Right. Of course, this rum was so special. It when you put it in a blend, you always can taste caroni, so it's hard to use it, you know? That would yeah. make sense why he always bought smaller quantities then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is definitely distinct. The few caronis I've had, are, I agree 100%. They're very distinct in what they bring. Yeah. Stefan, so I, I'm interested in something. As a lover of printed materials myself... Um, I don't even know if Will knows this, but a in addition, of printed materials. That's a, well, that's a good description. It's it is true, actually. So, I, in, in addition to my rum collection, I also have an old book collection. Okay, uh, yeah. and uh, so I love the the old books. As you were kind of mentioning, there's some sort of mystique that comes with them, and yet also. There's this other side of the equation now in modern times where a book almost feels like old technology in a weird way to some people. And I, I resist that very much. But what I thought was very smart that what you did was, uh, Will mentioned already the Facebook group that you kept people engaged through Facebook as you were making this book. Uh, it's a beautiful work of art in and of itself. And then also something else that you partnered with the makers of the RumX app to make this book into an interactive experience as well, which I think is, is a really nice blend and a smart idea in the 21st century to do. Um, so I wanted to ask you, how did this partnership come about? And was this recognized as something you had wanted to do from early on in the project? Or did that come about later? Uh, it, 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 it's easy to explain. You know, I don't want to write in my book about taste. Yeah. Because uh, taste okay. is something very personally. You know, I, I I like also the dirty uh, caronis. For for example, I like the no smoking. Some mm -hmm. people told me you can't write in your book that you like the no smoking. <laughs> it's not so good caroni. You can't write that like it, it tastes no. like a tire fire to you. Yeah, and that's it. You know, taste is something totally personally. Right. So so I I looked for a solution to get the taste out of the book. But that it's also in the book for the people they are interested in. Mm -hmm. Because you write me a letter before the interview and you ask me, hey, Stefan, what rum you like to recommend to people they start with Caroni and things like that? With this feature, with Ramix, they have the possibility to, to look for every bottle for the quality as well. Right. You know, when a rum is good rated, you, you, you can trust these people and can buy this bottle. There are also a lot of Caronis that are not good. I think we talked later about the, all the Caroni marks, mm -hmm. the secrets mm -hmm. behind what the meaning is. And mm -hmm. So there are different marks. Some marks are very good, the heavy ones. Then there are light ones or also the LWR. It's a special market. It's not so flavorful, you know. 
And to buy a rum like this for drinking, for pure drinking, is not so good, you know. Mm -hmm. And all this information you, you find in the book and with the app, you can scan every bottle and you can see, okay, this bottle is rated like this and right. it makes sense to buy this bottle also for drinking because for me, the most important thing is that the, the Caroni also become drunken, you know? Yeah. yeah. And with this feature, you find all informations about the taste and it's from an international community. It's from many different people. So in the middle, it's always perfect. Yes. Yeah, and it makes perfect sense in that way. So it's essentially, it's a companion to the book. Well, and it sounds like it gives you a way to get a lot of people's opinions about what sure. a particular yeah. bottle tastes like, as opposed to just, you know, one definitive statement right. about it. Yeah. You mentioned, Stefan, about uh, dirty. It's something that has a, a, a dirty flavor to you, which I was interested because I saw another interview where you said that as well. Is there another word or something? I'm trying to translate that in a different way to what we mean when we experience that flavor of like you're saying a dirty Caroni. Is there, does that mean that that kind of, I call it sometimes a rubbery type of flavor? Uh, I've heard that some people say garage garage notes. Oh, uh, I don't find out a word than dirty because <laughs> you know, you can, uh, I found out as well why uh, from where the dirty uh, flavors they come from. You know, yeah. and the funny thing is that the dirty flavors they they come because at the end of Caroni. They get new managers, and these managers were from the sugar industry, hmm. and that were managers. Their their focus was to sell. They had no idea about production, you know. Right. And these people, this one of these managers said, "We we can't stop the distillation process during we clean the still." The, the machine has to go on the still. And so they produced Caroni rum during cleaning the still, you yeah. know? And <laughs> all about efficiency. <laughs> you know? And then the still took uh, dirty flavor sweets, you know, from uh, things they had to be cleaned that it got in the rum. And that makes the flavor of the dirty taste is something so uh, crazy. Because that, I can't say, for me, it's a dirty taste, you know, because <laughs> the story behind is right. yeah. something in that normally shouldn't be in. And that's also, you know, there are so many stories uh, from the production, what they have done. We will talk about it. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Speaking, um, speaking of those stories, uh, I did want to ask, I know you, you interviewed a ton of people for this project. Uh, you mentioned already you uh, spoke with Karsten from EA Shear and Luca, and I know there's a lot of high-profile names. I wanted to ask which one or two interviews that are included are maybe with people who might not be as recognizable names to rum geeks like us or others, but who you think were really just to stand out in terms of great sources of knowledge and you can't wait for people to discover. Uh, for example, one important person was Vichay Ramnarayan. You know that him from the employee sir, uh, series on oh, the bottle. Oh yeah, he's on one of the one of the bottles. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. He, he was a destination supervisor. Then there was uh, Marilyn Persal. She was uh, the manager of the lab. So there I get also a lot right. of important in, uh, informations and also Dr. Biran. 
He, he was the distillery manager between 1980 and 1989. Yeah. So there were a lot of important person, you know, also from Caroni itself. Right, inside the distillery, yeah. To get all the information from inside and outside. And the, in, in, in my book, I also don't point because when, when you ask me later, later maybe why Caroni was closed. Uh, in my book, I tell the stories from different views, from different people they worked yeah. there, from the politics, from people like Carsten, who makes the inventory of the cast. Uh -huh. So the people, they read the book, they, they, they have the, the view from different positions and can do their own decision what happened. You know, I don't point on the finger on something. So... Every uh, body can make his own decisions, you know. Yeah, because it isn't so easy to say why Caroni is closed. For the distillery, it's easy to say because there's no more, more molasses on uh, the island, and so there is no possibility to distill rum. So, of course, that is easy. But the question why, why the whole uh, sugar industry get closed in Trinidad is right. not easy. Not, yeah, not an easy. Right. Many reasons of this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's go ahead and, and get to that because I think that is one of the difficult things to understand. I you know I've researched a little bit over the years about Corona just out of curiosity and trying to understand you know okay why why did the distillery close you know what was the process like and there's even all sorts of speculation and like differing accounts of the estimated value of the inventory of casks that they had when it was closed and how those were divvied up and everything. And I know you just mentioned there are lots of different perspectives and I'm sure people have different accounts of what happened, but just for you at a, at a high level, I guess, for someone who is a rum fan and is aware of Crony but doesn't know the story of why it shut down, what's the high level, your high level view of what happened essentially? So there are more reasons than only one. So when we jump back to 1975, there was the owner of Caroni was at this time Tate & Lyle. It's a multinational sugar company from UK. Mm -hmm. They owned the complete Caroni company. And in 1975, they sold it to the government mm -hmm. because, you know, Many people don't like, you know, it, it's uh, part of co colonialism, you know, the big UK company owns the right. sugar law. Why not? They should own it by their own. And so the, uh, the government decided to uh, buy Caroni and then the, the, the name changed from Caroni LTT to Caroni 1975 right. LTT. It was the, the state-owned company. And in this point, Ted and Lyle in the front makes already pressure of the UK government that uh, they make a law. It, it was uh, uh, called the Lone Sugar Protocols that Trinidad only can sell raw sugar to UK. Okay, so just and to the UK. So, and so in this time, Tate and Lyle bought, bought all refineries in uh, UK. So they had a monopoly 
of referring uh, no, to make sugar, white sugar. Mm-hmm. And so for the government, they bought Caroni, but in the first step, they had immediately a problem because they only can sell to Tate and Lai, right, right. the owner before, and Tate and Lai can tell them the price. Right. That was the first problem. The second problem was that the worker unions, they always said, okay, we have the sugar cane industry, the sugar fields, they have to... The people have to work by hand because the normal, the, the people, they earn not so much. They need a job. Mm-hmm. And so we we don't need uh, uh, harvesters to make the fields. We can do everything by hand. And uh, the worker unions make a lot of pressure to the government that everything will be like this until the end, you know. Mm. But with this, it was also a problem because it was not possible to make with this kind of work uh, a good price for the world market. So the production of sugar costs more than they can earn with sugar, right, you know. Right. And then there was the situation with the monopoly of Tate and Lyle in UK. So Caroni never earned money with sugar from the point the government bought uh, Caroni and so they had mm. always a problem many uh, people were employed there yes mm-hmm. like the car industry in Germany and they had to do a decision and then also the politics the parties fight to each other so in one party there was the sugar workers so the other party tried to close the whole sugar company to destroy the other party, you know? Mm. So it was also very political at this time where it should be um, closed. And the next problem was uh, for Caroni Distillery, there was also a a solution for Caroni to have a joint venture with Brown Foreman in the U.S. with Jack Daniels. Okay. And... Mm. There was nearly a, a, a contract finished for uh, for joint venture that Jack Daniels would so sell Caroni all over the world. You know, wow. the government makes a decision. No, we like to keep everything in Trinidad. We like to sell to Angostura. You uh-huh. know, but. <laughs> yeah, Angostura had not the network like Jack Daniels. Right. To, right. Sell worldwide, so it was also uh, a wrong thinking, and at the end, everything gets closed. Yeah, and there are much more reasons. You can't, you know, it's a big book. It's, it's hard to just sum it up. Yeah. yeah, but there are some reason what went wrong that at the end the whole sugar industry get closed in Trinidad. And it's crazy because so many people and family members lived from the sugar. Right, came yeah. It's a way of, so it was, way of life. Was, was really, really, really crazy. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget sometimes as just rum consumers, especially historically, how tied distilleries were to the sugar industry, and then right. also how volatile the sugar industry is. I was just at a conference recently, and someone was showing a chart of the price of sugar, you know, over the past 
know, 50 or 60 years and it's just it, it looks like a bitcoin chart or something it's just like <laughs> all over the place and yeah i mean you saw puerto rico used to be a huge sugar producer and right. if you go there now there's not a single sugar mill um it's all it's all gone yeah it's interesting sorry to interrupt you well but no, i just well, also wanted to kind of point out it's it's kind of interesting to hear that there's like perhaps this alternate universe out there where Caroni rum is as, as ubiquitous as Jack Daniels might be uh, if it were to be a, have been distributed in that way and a different decision was made. So that is crazy to think yeah. about. Yeah. See, then we, when we think more about this, also with this possibility, you know, the, the problem is that sugar industry is always thinking only about producing sugar more you know? efficiently. Right. For, yeah, the, right. for right. them, is molasses waste. Who cares? Yeah, and and that makes the molasses worse. Right. And so they sell it like waste for price, you know, like waste. When they would uh, think about it and say, okay, without molasses, you can't produce rum. So we ask other price because without our waste, they can't produce price. So Mm -hmm. when you think more about this, I think uh, the the option with Brown Foreman would be also uh, be a solution that the whole sugar industry in Trinidad still be alive because mm. when wow. they took more money with the mol- for the molasses, so they can earn money with molasses and. Then you put all things together, right. maybe you can earn also money with the sugar because you get one from molasses. And at the end of the distillery, you can say maybe at the, the Caroni distillery could uh, save the whole sugar industry, you know? Wow. Yeah. So everything is possible when you think about it, but it's always the same. I talk to many people. For all, always for the sugar industry, molasses is waste and they sell it like this. They could ask much more money, I think, because without this, uh, you can't produce rum. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. we, we should do a whole episode sometime on just the state of, of molasses and, and everything. And sugar. But yeah. yeah, you know, one of the other sort of hard to parse stories that comes out of the closure of Caroni. You know, I've read several articles about this over the years, some of which were, you know, written in Trinidad uh, around the time. But like after the distillery closed, they still had all this aged rum. You know, that's that's why Caroni uh, bottles still keep getting released today, because there was all this leftover aged rum that was bought by various people. And people like Luca now are, are still releasing, you know, some Caroni releases. But there was a big disagreement on how those, how the the aged rum stocks should be valued. They had multiple people, kind of, uh, as I understand it, give an evaluation of the casks, and I think they had one estimation come in around like under a hundred million dollars, and there was another one that was saying like, no, these casks could be worth up to a billion dollars or something like that. That's and there was a big spread. controversy yeah. about that. Were, did you dig into that in any of your conversations, and what did you learn about that? That's easy to explain. Uh, the person who went there to make the inventory was Cast uh, from Easter. Yeah, Cast okay, wow. He fly there with Ben from the main rum company mm-hmm. to make the valuation. And I asked Custom, how do you make the valuation? Right. How do you make the pricing? And he said it was very easy to do this. I was customer over years, mm. so I know. What I paid for the rum. Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy. I, I took the price I paid over years, you know, and then I make evaluation. 
That was one view of a valuation, a valuation, the newspaper you can find. Uh, it's the, the with the 18,533 cars. Mm -hmm. It's a valuation from Carsten. And I think the, the, this valuation is correct. The other valuation we, we, we you talk about uh, with 1 billion, it's also easy to explain because uh, in Trinidad, the people, when there is something like this, there's a lot of passion, you know. They close the sugar industry. They, they like to sell something. The people worked for many years mm -hmm. because the stock was very old stock. So there is a lot of passion, you know. Yeah. And then... Again, the working unions, they start to think, you know, they start, start to think, how much is a bottle of rum in a supermarket? Uh, if, for example, we take a price, 10 euros, okay. So we take, for a bottle of rum, we need 20% aged rum. The rest, we take neutral spirits. Uh -huh. How many bottles we can make out of one cask? Uh -huh. It's so many... Uh, cask and how many casks ah so many casks and when mm. we take this sales price mm -hmm. well for a price we have at the end one billion so perfect it's one billion is the stock is worth one billion you know it's also and then they go to the press and said yeah we calculated one billion we have found a person who make a valuation i think this person never ever exists oh, it wow. <laughs> was also a political thing right to make pressure because also the worker unions like to buy these cars and yeah and so everything you know it start cooking and yeah it's a very political thing in uh trinidad and i think the valuation with the 20 millions from Carsten was the correct one you know now of course when you take the prices from now mm -hmm, maybe yeah. The other value to the billion. <laughs> uh, uh, would be correct, but yeah. to be honest, there was 18,533 cars. And Rudy Moore was the guy who tried to sell Caroni distillery to in total. Mm -hmm. And he was also the guy who tried to sell um, the cask. At the beginning... He uh, tried to sell the complete Caroni distillery. But for us, we, we also will talk later about the silts, I think. Everything was very old, you know? Yeah. So when you read, there was a new still at Caroni. They become a new still. It never was a new still. Every time done the refurbished same. or something like there, that. There comes a new estate to Caroni. You mm -hmm. know, they bought a new estate. Then they took the still from uh, uh, the estate and uh, they looked at the still. What can we use for our still? Ah, maybe this part, this part. Uh -huh. And then they make, took the hammer and put it together, you know? It's like a so, Frankenstein still. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, like this. Yes, yes. And so uh, from the Gebrüder Hermann, the last four columns still at uh -huh. Caroni, parts were 80 years old, you know? Oh, wow. At one point in about 2005, Rudy Moore tried to start the still again, and then everything broke, mm -hmm. was broken. Oh, wow. it, nothing, nothing worked anymore. 
So it wasn't possible to sell Caroni as a distillery because it's all was crap, you know, it's all was old because every money Caroni earned, they had to give to the sugar company, you know, right. so they had never money to make something really new. So they tried to make every time from old things, new things. And that, right. that was a problem. So. He couldn't sell the uh, Caroni as complete still. So he decided, okay, what we are doing, okay, we, we, we sell Caroni, uh, the cask on the local market. We make our island plants, you know, and sell them to the local market. This is also reason because when you look in the inventory, you find uh, a stock from about 3,800 something. Jamaica rum cask. Right. Yeah, so, I heard about this. Yeah. Yeah. So these casks, they were never Jamaican rum. It was a blend of Jamaican rum and Caroni. Because Caroni had the problem that to sell, to compare to Angostura mm -hmm. on the local market. So they thought about it. How can we make our rum more flavorful. Mm -hmm. So they bought a high ester rum at National Rums of Jamaica. Jamaica. Mm -hmm. Normally when you talk from high ester rum, it's long pond, but I think 100% it was Money Mask, the rum they bought. Oh, so maybe from Clarendon? Yeah. Yeah, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, yeah, when you said high ester National Rums of Jamaica, I was like, oh, it must have been long pond. Right. <laughs> so yes, yes, but, but it was Money Mask and um, yeah, and they made a blend of this rum, this Caroni, and aged it for three years uh -huh. to use this blend for their rums for the local market oh, okay. to make them uh, more flavorful. And so this would have been like the lighter Caroni rums that were being blended with Jamaican rum, not not the kind that are being released now, right? It was also heavy rum with uh, wow. Jamaican rum. You can still, at one point, they, they told me uh, in Germany they make a joke on Facebook because I I drank a TDL rum from 2001, Rum Artisanal, uh -huh. released this uh, rum and I tasted, I smell and I said, it's Caroni rum. And I tasted it. The, there is, must be Caroni rum inside. And uh -huh. then, you know, the story began. I sent this bottle because... That, then some other people taste this, never ever is this Caroni rum. And then I sent this bottle to Luca. Uh -huh. And Luca sent this bottle to the uh, laboratory to make analysis. And then I sit with Luca and he tastes it. And, and Luca always said, that's money mask. <laughs> I think it's money mask. You know, and then we tried with other people. And at one point we imagined that has to be a plant. Mm, from yeah, Caroni, yeah. from these talks, casts, you know? yeah. And also Rudy Moore told me, you know, Rudy Moore, what it was everything when he said something very careful. He always said, okay, Stefan, I tell you this from my mind. <laughs> and my mind tells me that all this talk bought Angostura, I'm sure, but, you know, it's from my mind, so I can't be sure. So right. always like this, he, he yeah. talked about. All this talk went to Angostura and we have to ask what happened with this rum. And I'm sure there are a lot of TDL rums you can 
buy at the mouth moment very powerful rum mm -hmm. with some uh, mental notes or mint notes mm -hmm. and i think for 100% sure when you also look up and he looked at the analysis he said oh, such rum with so many containers he nearly never had so his his uh Uh, Caroni stock from Guyana has so so uh, many containers, you know. But for normal rum, unbelievable. And I, I'm 100% sure that uh, is uh, some TDLs you can buy at the moment between 2000 and uh, 2005 vintage are Caroni stock. So ah. it's blend of uh, Jamaican Caroni rum. And so you think it's specifically those Jamaican Caroni blends, not not necessarily like 100% Caroni that would come from TV. No, 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 no. It's a blend, you know. Yeah. They, they, they yeah. made these for the local market and that was the plan to sell all the stock of Caroni, but then happened the closure mm -hmm. Caroni uh, 1975 and what Rudy Moore never expected was that all the employees, they bought Caroni because they can buy it on their salary, you know? Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So they took a bottle and say, yeah, put it on my pay bill or right. how it's called. I wish I could do that in my job sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, so, and then Caroni was closed. And at this point, the employees had no more reason to buy Caroni. So they bought Angostura. Mm -hmm. And so all the thinking that they planned to make uh, these plants with Jamaican rum, to sell all the rum on the local market field. Mm. So they need another solution to sell the cask. And then Luca Gargano yeah. found the stock. And then he, uh, at the beginning, uh, Rudy Moore don't sold him so much because he was dreaming that he still can sell the whole distillery And then Luca can every year comes back and bought more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And so it happens. And with Luca, Caroni start to become famous. Right. You know, yeah. because when people say now, ah, oh, yes, uh, you see now the value was much more of the stock without Luca. I think something like this would never have happened. It's yeah. it's interesting, yeah, because going back to the different valuations, like you were saying, the valuation that came from Karsten at the time was probably accurate for what the rum was worth at the time. At that time, yeah. But then you fast forward 20 years in the future and you have the distillery closed, you have right. the rum being released in highly limited fashion, Scarcity. being, being mm -hmm. marketed in a certain way, and right. the price becomes much more. So yeah, yeah. it's an interesting... But, 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 but you can give on this a very easy answer, you know. Custom is EA Share. Mm. EA Share is the biggest rum company in Europe. Right. Yeah. So he made evaluation. So he had access to one of the famous rum stock you can buy now bottled, you know? Mm -hmm. He had access. He was the first. He was standing there. Right. He had all 18,500 casks in his front. And you know how many casks he bought? Zero. Yeah. He bought not one cask because he don't believe in this rum, you know? Uh -huh, uh -huh. At this time, the time changed with Luca. Right. Right. Before, so uh, even Carsten doesn't believe in the quality of Caroni, you know, because it was 
so unique, so special, he can't use for a blend. Uh -huh. And the stock was too big. And so he doesn't bought. Right. So I imagine it's also, you know, a business decision in a way as well for him and thinking about what the evaluation is versus what the sell. I, I don't want to get too much into his head, but, you know, I, I would think there's a lot of angles there that it's not just about the rum itself and the quality, but also there's other factors. But before we get too far away from this, Stefan, I did want to ask you, you mentioned the stills and the Frankenstein still and others. What happened to the stills from Caroni? Where where did they end up and you know, how does that story finish? At the end, there was only one still, you know. It okay. was Guido Hermann, and they uh, sold it for the metal price to get it in a press. Oh. Uh, the still is destroyed, yes. Oh, I was hoping for a better ending than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, for understanding, old Caroni you can buy nearly all is Cologne still, you know. Mm -hmm. There are no other stills. There is also pot still Caroni exists still now. It's called Providence Rum, Providence Estate, Providence Caroni, whatever. That is all the rum mm -hmm. from the pot still. It's called Providence because the still was from the Providence Estate, the pot still. And the name was written on the pot still that was written Providence. And in 1980, Gebrüder Hermann, the four column still, it's from a German companies, German engineers made these uh, still with parts of existing stills. Yeah. So in 1979, all the employees know that Caroni, okay, 1980, there will be a new still, the Gebrüder Hermann, and they need the instruments of the pot still mm. to make this still. So they bro produced like crazy pot still and they put all this pot still in a big steel tank, put, a, put it uh, toasted wood chips inside uh, okay. the steel tank uh -huh. and then it was a pot still. And so every time when they took something out of the steel tank, they don't use the distillation time. 1979 or 1980, uh -huh. they used the time they took the ram out of the steel tank. Okay, so, so it wasn't being looked, distilled, it was just being stored there. Right. It's stored there, and so yeah. all the 1990, 1991, 1992 Providence ram was from the pot still and was distilled in 79, 79. and 80. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. But they always used the time to took the ram out of the steel tank for the distillation date. So the the most uh, providence is from 1991. So because that, I always say when the people say, yeah, we have pot still from Caroni, uh, I say, stop. Before they sold it, they blended with neutral alcohol. So it's again the same story than everything else. Uh -huh. yeah. When they stole rum at a regular time, the distillery was still open. It always was blended with neutral alcohol. So the pot still is no pot still. It's only a part of pot still, mm -hmm. but the main rum is a neutral alcohol. So mm -hmm. when you try a pot, uh, a Providence rum, you can't drink it. It's, it's not a good rum, you know? Right. So the only remaining pot still is no pot still and it's not a really good rum. So So it was it was in that steel tank with the wood chips for up to 10, 10 years? years. 
Yeah. Wow. And then wow. they took it out and yeah, blended blend it with the spirit. Yeah. And so the most rum you can buy from 1991 is Providence from this vintage. And so maybe it's skip all that one. Yeah. <laughs> there, are, there are some rums, for, for example, the, the blended one from Millier is no, uh, no Providence. But the okay. most rums you can, uh, you can buy is Providence, the vintage, and it's not the good rum from 1991. Yes. On, on that note of, you know, the good Coroni rums, the, the bad Coroni rums, it is pretty difficult, and we, we talked about this earlier, um, yep. you know, it's difficult to kind of get into Caroni as a rum enthusiast, A, because it's scarce, and there just aren't that many bottles available, and then, you know, obviously the prices have skyrocketed over the years, but then, you know, there's different independent bottlers, different stills, different marks, and it's all subjective of which ones are the best and where to start, but... If, if someone is listening who's never had Caroni and is interested in, I want to try something, what what do you think is kind of the best? What what uh, maybe years or stills or, or what should they look for? When, when the people ask me for one rum they should buy, at the moment, for me, the most underrated uh, Caroni is the replica from Villiers mm-hmm. from the 100th anniversary, the yellow big bottle. Okay. It's, you can buy, still buy for, I think, 270 euros. Okay, so uh, not bad for Caroni. It's a full tropical age drum, mm-hmm. and it's very, very good, you know, because from some, intem- when, when you buy a bottle from an independent bottler, uh, you always to have to make a little bit research before, before you buy a bottle, to know it's a good one or not so good one, mm-hmm. because at the moment, uh, I think in the last two weeks there, they, they released 15 new Caronis, and the bottle price is between 500 and 850 euro from a continental aged wow. Caroni, you know? And you never know what's the quality of this rum. Mm-hmm. It, it, right. uh, on all the Villiers uh, bottlings, you can read the mark. You know, know it's a heavy, it's a light, it's mm-hmm. a blended. And independent bottlers, uh, the most rum, you know, uh, bought Bristol Spirits after uh, Villiers. And they bought everything. So also a lot of LTR LWR mm-hmm. for, 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 for understanding what is LWR. It's it's also light rum and I don't understand why they have done this. So for me it's just crazy to do something like this. I asked what is LWR? Uh, and they told me it's local white rum. Oh. Uh, it's a name and what they have done, they took out the toasting of the cask. Nearly, really? The, ah, so they, they filtered it. Out the, the, the total toast, uh, toasting of the cask and put inside the light drum. So I don't oh, understand well, why you should yeah. do something because uh, the aging is not working well, you know. So they told me they don't, they, they don't like so much tannins and uh-huh. things like that. But the rum is not really good. So when you have, uh, for example, the 25, year, uh, 25 years old company descent from the last year, it's 100% LWR light white rum. The rum has really no flavor because it was the, uh, the whole in an, time this kind cask. of cask. Yeah. Yeah. It never yeah. changed the cask. So, Got it. Um, you know, 
So a lot of RAM come to Europe in IBC tanks. So they changed the, ta- the cask. Uh-huh. So you can say from beginning 2009 was a normal cask. So the, the RAM started to get flavor. But then you have a, a, a real LWR uh, after 25 years. It's not really a good quality, you know, uh. because they removed the toasting out right. of the... Huh. So there's not, I had imagined then, at first I had confused it saying it was filtered, but you're not saying it's filtered. You're saying they put it in an almost inert cask because it didn't yes. have any toasting. So there wasn't a lot of interaction with the wood yes. over that time yes. period. Huh. And those are still available? Yeah. I, I, as I told you, the, the, the CD I can show you. We may have to put this on video, Will. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry. I no, it's all good. No, no. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're fine. This one. Uh, okay. Ah, okay. the real uh, LWR. Yes. Okay. Right, right. So also for me, always to spend this bottle cost five hundred euros to to spend so much money for a quality like this is crazy. Right. But I I bought a few bottles when I do a masterclass so that people understand, but uh-huh. also the different marks. Yeah, right. I think it's interesting what it's possible. You know, this LWR, LTR. These Providence and HDR and yeah. Yeah, it just further highlights the point we've talked about, you know, about people look at aging years and automatically assume that, you know, it's more aged, it's got to be better or something like that. But the cask type, the the what's done in the cask, all of that just matters so much to to producing what the rum ends up being. So it's just another reminder of that. Yeah. Yes, yes. I always say uh, age is only a number. Yeah. It doesn't right. mean quality at all. It's true for people, too. Um, <laughs> we hope. <laughs> yeah. So real, real quick, something that occurred to me, you know, as I was going through the Facebook group, there were so many times where you posted like, you know, today I'm in Italy or, or somewhere, you know, tasting rums with, with this person, you know, we're looking at these Coroni rums. And it, it sounds like, you know, in order, you kind of listed every bottle that that's ever been released in the book. And so I'm assuming you wanted to experience as many of them as possible. But what was kind of your most memorable Coroni tasting session as you were traveling around, you know, hunting down different bottles and stuff? Is there a particular time that that really stands out to you? You know, I in the whole book, I don't write about taste. Yeah. This one, in one chapter, I write also about taste because for normal people, it's not possible to try this kind of rum. Yeah. I made in the historical part of Caroni where all the old bottles are, the original bottlings from Caroni. I had them all with me in Berlin at the last rum festival, mm-hmm. rum festival and um, to try these rums with, I think we were 12 or 14 rum geeks to, to try together and talk about these rums because Caroni is something different to whiskey, you know. When you see what people pay for old bottlings, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's crazy because in whiskey, the old bottlings, you know, the master blenders had a possibility to go on the stock and say, okay, for my blend, I take this, 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 this cards, only the best for my blend, you know. So this uh, whiskey is from the 70s, 60s are the best whiskeys you can buy. In rum is different, you know. The yeah. the, the, the rum they produce for example for the local market, it was you know it was rum for the cocktails or things mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. 
there are not uh, not really drinkable. So and they always blended it with neutral spirit, alcohol. Yeah, yeah so it's a problem. So we tasted all the old Caronis to write what we think about the taste and what are the good ones you can spend uh, money. So I think for uh, the good ones, the old ones, Caroni, the Navy rums you can buy in UK, they are really good. Mm. But to spend, also you have to spend for a bottle like this, I think three to four thousand euro. Yeah. I don't know if you, you really have to like Caroni <laughs> if you like to spend <laughs> this money and open the bottle, you know. Yeah. Because the taste is not like uh, Caroni rum. It's more than a, a Guyana rum. It's mm. a very nice, drinkable rum, you know. Yeah, th that was a very special tasting. And the people, they were very happy to be, to have the possibility to taste this. And uh, the funniest thing always was uh, when I, short before this tasting, I went to Kasten for the interview. Uh -huh. uh, from E.R. Share, and I asked him, do you have Caroni you bought for blending? You know, the, the Caroni as you bought it from the distillery, this blended with neutral alcohol, the old ones you buy it for your blending. And I said, yeah, I have. And then he makes a lineup. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> you know, all, all rums, 80% ABV. Yeah. yeah. And, and I said, okay. Carson, can I get a sample from a three, five, and eight years old uh -huh. rum? And he said, yeah, okay, Stefan. And then he, he gave me from every rum 5CL. I was very happy uh, to get this. Yeah, and yeah. then we also tasted this in this round. I think nobody else without Carson and people like this had a possibility to taste something. And yeah. it was funny. The best one was the three years old. Yeah, there you go. One of, one of the group who was tasting it, he became suddenly crazy. Stefan, do you think he has, <laughs> he has something? We have to put in a gas. <laughs> Very That's funny, great. you know. And it was really great, this tasting. Yeah. And the tasting notes you find in the book for uh -huh. the Caronis. Yes. Yeah, so. got it. Are you tired of drinking Caroni yet? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> for me, uh, people always uh, ask me oh, which you like the most. Uh, I like Caroni in general, you know. And sometimes it's boring because, you know, when people visit me to drink a rum with me, they bring always their Caroni. Caroni, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I and, like and other you know, things. I, yeah. I, I mean, drank already everything. So yeah, yeah. Uh, when you hear this, okay. oh, next this time you visit me, no, don't drink Caroni. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we've covered a lot of ground already, but I wanted to make sure, was there anything else that kind of stuck out to you during your research is really surprising to learn or anything we haven't discussed already you wanted to mention? Yeah, there are a lot of things I can tell you because, you know, the interesting with Caroni was the distillery is closed. Yeah. So all employees, they don't have to whisper to me, hey, Seth, mm. I can tell you, but don't talk about it. So they... they uh, no one has to worry about uh, getting they, fired at this point. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, they talked very open to me and there was really a lot of interesting stories. One interesting story, for example, is... Merlin Passat, who was responsible for the lab, mm -hmm. she told me after the pot still was destroyed because they used the parts yeah. or the Gebrüder Hermann, 
they were afraid that uh, the ram is not so powerful anymore and they have to do something so from the early 80s rams they put cherry in the cask oh, for really? aging huh. yeah i talked a lot about this with luca yeah and uh, she also told me how much they put inside and and look and i we think you know when the people say the the sherry comes from valdespino yes mm. and when they tell you okay we bought sherry from valdespino to put in the cask it's the same like uh, high ester jamaica rum you know it must be not always 100% true. So I think they put Paxarede. You know Paxarede? No. Mm-mm. Paxarede is a reduced sherry, you know? Okay. It, it's reduced. They also put, uh, yeah, when the people talk, ah, oh, in the 60s and the 70s with whiskey, they took much better sherry cask and the, uh, the whiskey there is much more flavorful. It's also the same. They put Paxarede if it's in the cask. And when I um, talked to uh, Stephen Schoenberg also about this, he said, oh, I expected that they done this in rum as well, but uh-huh. not at this time, you know. So, yeah, I think they put Paxarini uh, in the cask. It, I can say between 80 and 85, they done it for sure, because after 85, uh, Merlin told me, yeah, in the... Legend 2000, they put it in the bottle, you know, <laughs> as they worked. And uh, um, so until this time, I think between 80 and 85, they put also Paxarede in the cask for aging. It's very interesting. So after I had this information, I, I was also with some rum nerds mm-hmm. drinking rum. And one guy, he's a in incredible collection and you have from everything big samples and i ask hey do you have from the all the 80s yeah yeah, yeah yeah i have okay then i say okay then we make an experiment because you know you can't say it's not easy to say oh in this one is sherry inside right. and this not because you never tasted right, something right, right. Like yeah before. speculation so what's very interesting to do this tasting with all the uh, 82, 83, 85, 84 to taste this. And you, you really, when you know it at some, you would really taste it that there is cherry inside or mm-hmm. Paxari. Wow. It's also a very cool story, yeah? Yeah, for sure. No, and that, that's interesting, the, the point you made about the interviews and how open people were. Um, yeah. That was something I was thinking about as well, was just because there are so many parts of this story that intersect with politics and things like that. I, I just wondered, was it difficult to get anyone to talk about certain things or were people just in general very open and, and sharing their opinions? Uh, on, in my research, I also found a lot of business reports of Caroni, you know, mm. and it was also very interesting because because it's, Caroni is so political, you know, mm-hmm. and they love everything, so it's hard to find. It's not easy to say, okay, please give me a business report and you get it, you know. And this business report, it was also interesting to see the drum get sold from Caroni to other distillery as well. Right. And then you 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 have to ask what had they have done with this drum, you know. Yeah. I always make jokes and said, okay, they 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 bought this 100 liters to uh, clean their still, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, 
for uh, the TDL mm-hmm. for Caroni. Uh, also, when it was open, it's everybody knows. Yeah, it's nothing special. When you Google it, yeah, you also find. Uh, some newspaper articles uh, because they discussed because Caroni sold too cheap to them mm-hmm. and of, of course TDL bought uh, Caroni but yeah. there for me it's not a problem because it's still Trinidad rum you know right right mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. When, were there me, distilleries outside Trinidad buying it yes 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 and that makes it so and I, I think it's something very common that uh Distilleries sell their rum to other yeah. distillery, but nobody talks about this. You know, right. one example is San Lucia Distillers. Mm-hmm. You know, they bought every Caroni. You know, oh, wow. But what happened with the Caroni? And then some friends went there to make a distillery tour, and then they said, "Yeah, we put here Caroni inside in this bottle." And then I write them an email and say, "Hey, some <laughs> friends of mine were at a distillery tour." Um, uh, you told them that you put Caroni there inside. And I said, oh, yeah, the, the, there I have to give you to the management. They will answer. But that's it. But I found in the business reports that they uh, bought Caroni. And there was also other distilleries. They bought Caroni. Some declare, uh, declared it. The, the biggest customer, Caroni, was Santana from Colombia. Oh, really? And they, wow. they, they declared it, yeah. And there was also Maria Magdalena Trading Company's Passeram. I think Passeram is sold in U.S. Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. It says there was also Caroni inside, yes. That's really? so interesting. They, a lot. they had a contract. You find the contract as well in my book. You can read what they have bought. Uh-huh. So wow. they had, uh, you know, they, they, they live for the year per year. They get, they live also in April 2010. Ron Abuelo bought also really? 500. Wow. It's, yeah, a, it's surprising to me to hear so many sort of, um, you know, lighter rums, like rums from Colombia and, right. and places like that, that would South want to purchase yeah. Caroni rum since it's so distinctive. Right. Wow. So it's that, is, that is shocking. You, you find a lot of information. It's also, um, yeah. Yeah. On that note, your book is full of information. What's the best way for people to buy it if they want to? And I also wanted to say congratulations to you because I know that you... I think there's still copies available for people to purchase, but you personally yes, yes. have sold all 2,000 of the copies that you produced, hey, correct? Wow. It's really sold. So uh, yeah, I have now, uh, because one customer not paid and I took the books back because I when someone don't pay, I don't wait uh, months for my money. So uh-huh. I took it back. <laughs> so I have few copies now left, but uh, I think uh, end of the month, all uh, books from my side are sold. I get also now a company from China who asked to mm-hmm. import the books from China. It's crazy. You know, That's they, amazing. They write me wow. over Facebook. And also a friend of mine, he also bought some books for his shops. And there is also a request, uh, request for U.S. for importing books. Uh-huh. I have no information about that because he's organizing this. But there are a lot of international uh, shops, you know, know, like Whiskey Point FR. So mm-hmm. LMTV has it, or Spirit Academy, Luca. Okay. Uh, 
books you can order easily to us it's no problem you know we'll put some so, links up for everyone uh, uh usually that... you find also whiskey booken he's also very trustable shop you can order for us um yes well um like i said we'd already heard from one excited listener um who's who's been digging into it and going back through a lot of the old coroni bottles that he has so very cool to see people enjoying your work i'm sure yeah. But yeah, I mean, thank you for taking the time and diving in, revealing some of the secrets. I'm sure there are many more in the book uh, for people to look forward to. But um, uh, we do have one last tradition on the Rumcast, uh, which is a bonus round of questions called the Rapid Fire Round, where John has cooked up a batch of uh, short, ridiculous questions uh, that he will fire at you one at a time. Uh, and we're looking for quick, fast responses we wait till the end of the interview where you're really worn out and then we throw this at you so uh are you are you up for the challenge i try all right. i hope that i understand him well that, that's all we can ask is to try right yeah. that's exactly it just know that stefan there's no wrong answers here no wrong answers all right, all right. i think we're we're ready so yeah when you're ready i've got 60 seconds and go all right stefan neat or on the rocks uh, without eyes, I don't like eyes. Okay. Column, pot, or blend? What's your favorite? Okay, I'm a fan of Karoni, so column. <laughs> All right. All right. Molasses or cane juice? Probably an easy one as well. I like both. Okay, that's a valid answer. What about aged or unaged rum? Or do you like both? Uh, aged rum, of course. Okay, all right. If you were to make uh, this book into a series, which distillery do you think would be next in line? So maybe the next project is Guyana. Ooh. Okay. All right. If, if you could have one free bottle of Karani rum, which one would you choose? Free. I would take Old Navy rum. Because okay. it's 90 proof, it's hard to find. All right, and, and finally, I wrote a jingle for your book, Stefan. I'm not sure it's going to translate as well, but we're going to try this, okay? So uh, I, I just want to know what you think about the jingle here. It goes like this. Stefan Meyer writes a ton on C-A-R-O-N-I rum. What do you think? <laughs> nice. <laughs> you Stephen should become is being, a songwriter. <laughs> that's time, by the way. <laughs> Stefan is being very polite in his assessment of uh, John's jingle there. Uh, we, we won't expect it to be used in any advertising for the book. Hey, I but. think it works great. So, uh, All right. Thank you, Stefan. That was fun, and I appreciate it. And thank you for the whole interview. It was very, very enlightening, and we really appreciate your time. And uh, I mean, I can't wait to read more about it as soon as I can get a copy of the book. They're hard to find, like you said, but we're going to go uh, make sure people have the links and we can get to those. So thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Stefan. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of The Rumcast. Like we said earlier, check out the show notes for links to where you can check out Stefan's Caroni book and see the magnum opus for yourself. And also, if you have any Caroni stories of your own, if you have gotten Stefan's book and have, you know, flipped through it, we'd love to hear your thoughts and follow up with those on a future episode. So be sure to email us, host at rumcast.com. That's H O S T at rumcast.com. You can also reach out to us on social media. John, where, where can they find us? 
On social media, we are at The Rumcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also on YouTube now. And uh, we're getting more and more requests, Will, for YouTube content and that people want to see our faces. So we're going to have to make that happen at some Careful point. Careful what you wish for. I know. I, I got to find uh, you know, a way to lose 10 pounds real quick so I can get rid of the camera effect. But, but yeah, so we're working on that as well. And uh, lots of things going on on our Patreon. So yes. if you haven't heard about that or, or have somehow been living under a rum rock and didn't didn't get a chance yet to uh, visit our Patreon page, it's at patreon.com forward slash the rumcast. You can support the show there. Uh, we have multiple levels and multiple things going on. Uh, we're, we're looking episodes. forward to, yes. Happy hours. Next, yes, all of that. Uh, and, and it's uh, just a fun fun party of, of people who love rum to get together and talk more, hear more. If you somehow want to hear more of our voices, then that is the way to do it, and uh, with some really, really cool content to boot. So uh, we, we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. We thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. 